we're, we're in a series called When the Sky Falls and Heaven Crashes In. Uh, it's uncovering the lost art of prayer. Uh, this idea, I don't know about it for you, but prayer, a lot of my Christian life remains a mystery. Uh, something that I've wrestled with deeply of what does it look like, and I've seen all kinds of different uh, realities of prayer and people who pray, and what is it? And last week we said just kind of our working definition of prayer is prayer is engaging in an ongoing love relationship with our Heavenly Father. But, but if I'm honest, that isn't, uh, hasn't been my experience with prayer. You know, if we talk about it, prayer, if, if that's actually God's heart, and if I, I encourage you to listen to last week's uh, message or podcast, that it's engaging in this ongoing love relationship with your Heavenly Father. I, I gotta be really honest, a lot of times when, when I pray and talk about prayer, my, my experience is isn't this ongoing love relationship. It's kind of ritualistic. It's kind of even awkward. I, I don't know about you, where you just kind of go, oh, how does this really work? And, and what we want to do for the next few weeks is, is not just talk about prayer. We, we actually hope to see a prayer movement in our church, where we as a community say, man, this is what it looks like to see a community pray together and, and dream about what God wanted, would want to do and watch him show up. We actually believe this, that as a church, as a community, we're most productive when we pray. So this series isn't just like a series. It's a movement, and, and to be a movement, it's got to be more than just a Sunday morning, and so on Sunday mornings, uh, we're teaching on prayer. On Sunday evenings, I invite you, come out. Last week, we did a prayer and worship time. It was powerful. It was refreshing, and I encourage you, come back out uh, tonight. Then during the week, we're doing these uh, just prayer prompts where you're getting text in the morning and in the evening, and, and I got to tell you, for my own soul, last night, I got uh, at eight o'clock, I got, you know, a Read Zephaniah 3.17, where it says, The Lord is with you. The Lord is mighty to save. He, he delights over you, and he will quiet you with his love. I was going, man, I needed to hear that and rest in the reality of God's great love. And I encourage you, if you want to be a part of that with us, just all you need on that blue card, your name, your phone number, and then your... Um, and then your service provider. And you can drop that in. You can get text. This next week, we're going to be journeying and praying through Psalm 23 together all week. And in the morning, really praying the text. And then in the evening, uh, a response to that. So I'd encourage you, be a part of that with us as a community. We have things for missional communities, activities for you guys, and things for you as a community to engage in. And our, our, the reality is, is, as a church... When we say awaken this generation, that won't happen unless it starts with us and if it starts in us. And that begins when we begin to uncover this secret, this lost art of prayer, engaging in an ongoing love relationship with our Heavenly Father. Uh, this morning I want to talk about uh, why is it some people seem to have a uh, direct connect with God. 
You, you, ever, you ever notice that? You ever been around a couple people? There's probably only a handful of people in my life that, that I just felt like they had this absolute direct connect with God. Like when they prayed, it was almost like the Shekinah glory, like boom, you know? And when they talked, it was like they were talking to a friend and they had this direct connect with God. And I don't know about you, but sometimes because of that, it, it kind of makes us feel like, man, what are we doing? What do we need to do differently? This is the way, at least the way I felt, because if I'm really honest, there's been many times over the course of my journey uh, with Jesus that my prayers have felt not like this direct connect with God, like when the sky falls and heaven crashes in, but it's felt a little bit more like this conversation right here. In 2013, he pardoned the turkey. What do you have planned for 2014? We'll probably pardon another turkey. We, we do that every Thanksgiving. Was that depressing to you, seeing a, a, a one turkey kind of taken out of circulation, a uh, turkey you couldn't eat? So how does this work? Do you send uh, Ambassador Rodman to North Korea on your behalf? I read somewhere that you'd be sending Hulk Hogan to Syria, or is that more of a, a job for Tanya Harding? Zach, he's, he's not our ambassador. What should we do about North Ikea? North. Why don't we move on? I have to know, what is it like to be the last black president? Seriously? What's it like for this to be the last time you ever talk to a president? It, it must kind of stink, though, that you can't run, you know, three times. You no, know? actually, I think it's a good idea. Uh, you know, if I ran a third time, it'd be sort of like doing a third hangover movie. Didn't really work out very well, did it? Now, if we're honest, if we're just going to be friends for a second, and just talk and not try to pretend, because I, I think sometimes we get in church world, we try to pretend. That conversation, though the content might change, would represent a lot of the ways that we feel like when we pray. It's awkward. It's stilted. It's like there's these awkward pauses, and you don't know what to do with, and there's like randomness in the conversation, and it's all over the map, and so when we talk about our working definition of prayer is an engaging this ongoing love relationship with your Heavenly Father, it, it, it is almost uh, off-putting because I would say I've experienced that in my relationship with God. It's like, um, how... But then I look up and I observe and I see. Well, I've seen, especially in my own life, some people that have deeply shaped my life. And, and when we have that working definition, it is really defines their life. And so I'm faced with that question once again because I honestly don't want that. I don't want that type of relationship with God. I don't want the awkwardness to remain. I don't want it to always stay in this jolted reality and kind of stepping on one another's toes. So why is it? Why is it that some people seem to have a direct connect with God? One person that has impacted me deeply that I look at and that has this incredible direct connect with God is actually my mom. Now, now growing up with 
my mom is we would do this. If there was any crisis in our life, and it didn't matter how big or small, I mean, you just imagine as a kid, you know, whether it was a girlfriend or a big test or you needed a car, we knew to go to my mom because there's just something about the way my mom prays that like God heard her. We just had, I just began to believe this, I, I, that God heard her better than me, you know? It's like, man, my mom, when she prays, like stuff happens. When she prays, it's as if she's talking to a friend and yet has this deep intimacy and reverence with the awe and wonder of the holy God. And like, I don't know how you got there, but all I know is I want you praying for me. And so I go to her and go, hey mom, you know, uh, and this, uh, this is actually a real time. I wasn't planning on sharing this. Jenny kind of broke my heart early on in our dating. Um, and I just remember, I mean, as a 19-year-old boy, like weeping on my mom's shoulder, which is really embarrassing. But, um, and, and just going, Mom, would you pray? Would you pray? And I, I talk like that when I cry. Um, would you pray? And, well, we got married, so it worked out. <laughs> Still to this day with my mom, when there's stuff, major stuff, family, when there's any stuff, church, like when we're talking about a location, you know the first person I call or text, because my mom's a texter, which is awesome, uh, is my mom. Because I know that somehow in her relationship, it's not just words that say prayers engaging this ongoing love relationship with your Heavenly Father. It is a reality. It, it is so true. And so for me, because this is one of the most influential things in my spiritual journey, was watching my mom pray. And it's something that I long for my kids to see in me. It's something I long to have. I don't want a jilted, awkward relationship. I want to have this life-giving interchange with the God of the universe. And that's what prayer is. So i got to wrestle and ask the question, well, why? Why is it that some people have this direct connect? And why is it that some of us are wrestling in that awkward unknown? And, and as I answer this, I noticed there's a few things that I made some observations just, and we'll share at the end of, here's what my mom did. Here's what she does differently. And, but when I began to try to answer this question, there's, there's a couple of things that I bought into that were, that were completely false. So I... I kind of entitled this message, if you will, Why Some People Have a Direct Connect with God and Two Lives I've Bought Into Trying to Get There. Because I think deep down inside, a lot of us long to have that type of relationship, long to experience that type of intimacy, long to pray in such a way that, that it changes things. That you know that God hears you, that the sky does fall, heaven crashes in, and the presence of God is there. And a lot of times, we don't know how to get there, and so we try a lot of different things. In fact, there's two big lies that I bought into. Jesus actually talks about them in the Sermon on the Mount, but they're, they're two big things that I bought into that I thought, man, maybe if I do this, then I'll experience that type of relationship. Uh, let me just give them to you here. first lie that I bought into about prayer, concerning prayer, is that prayer uh, is a performance. 
I mean, I grew up in church world. I grew up watching pastors pray. In fact, uh, when I grew up, I grew up in kind of a conservative Baptist church early on, and there was this guy, uh, we'll call him Hank Hawley, because that's his name. Um, and, and Hank was one of the pastors at the church, and I literally, as a kid, with my watch, would time his prayers. And I'm not lying, he would go anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes praying. Now, now think about this. This is my picture. This is what's forming what it looks like as a young man, as a kid, to pray. That it's this guy who gets up and is this performance. I remember one time we went over to the house to eat, and um, it was the first time we moved to Santa Cruz and this, getting to know him and our family, and he starts praying. I mean, the food's hot on the table. And like five, six minutes later, I'm like looking up. And I was really thankful because my dad was looking up too. I'm like, okay, it's okay, it's safe. I'm not weird, this is weird. I mean, I, I, I want to pray for all the missionaries, but I really want to eat that food too. But it began to develop a picture that prayer is this performance. And, and I began to subtly believe this. If I perform for God, then God will perform for me. Listen to what Jesus says about this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. He says, And when you pray, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Now he's speaking of the religious leaders. He's talking about uh, the Pharisees of the day. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Now, a little background in Jewish tradition here. There is a, they had multiple prayers that they prayed regularly throughout the day. The first one was the Shema, and, and it was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And they would pray that in the morning, then at night. And then the second was a prayer they would pray three times at specific times throughout the day. The, the, I'm going to say it, probably mess it up, but the Shemoneh uh, Ezra. Uh, and what it simply was, was it was a prayer of 18. A prayer of 18 things that eventually evolved into being 19, uh, but they just kept the name uh, 18 there. And they would pray these 18 things in the morning, in the afternoon, and at night. I mean, this was a culture, and this was a people that were devoted to prayer. They had, we'll talk more about it next week, but they had a prayer for anything. Like, you got a new donkey, you had a prayer that you prayed. I mean, they had a prayer for every single thing. Uh, new harvest, they had a prayer that you prayed. And, and so, what would happen is the religious leaders, you had these three prayers that, that you'd pray, and they would be in their full garb, dressed, and go to the temple courts, because man, that's, God's there. And they would shout loudly, their prayers publicly for all to see, saying, look at me and how pious and how right and how good I am. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. See, it's the difference between impressing others or longing for intimacy with God. But, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. 
See, prayer as a performance says this, and this is one that I bought into for a while. Because when you get into church world, there's something that happens when you begin to pray publicly with one another that you're more concerned of what others think about you and think that you know something, and so you use big theological jargon, and you use these, Oh, holy God, Father, art thou... And you're like, I don't even speak King James, but I'm going to throw it in there just in case, you know? And prayer as a performance is used to somehow coerce, manipulate God. Saying, God, look at me. Look at what I've sacrificed. Look at how I'm going about it. See how I'm living and look at what I did. And prayer becomes this checklist. It's devoid of a relationship, but look, I did that and I did that and I did that. Now you do this for me. And the truth is, much of my Christian walk Much of my Christian walk, I would say, I want more to get from God than to simply just be with God. I want the things of God more than God himself. See, one of the lies that we can buy into, and and what happens in this environment is it, it almost creates it in some ways, that prayer is this performance or this show, and somehow we manipulate God to get what we want. And what we really want is that life-giving, interactive, in, intimate relationship with the king of the universe we miss out on because we buy into a lie that prayer is a performance second lie that I bought into was prayer as a secret formula. If the first is this performance to kind of go, God, you, if I perform for you, then you will have to perform for me. This next one was much harder for me to unpack over the years. Verse 7, and when you pray, And when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans. In fact, that word babbling literally means to heap up empty words, to pile upon pile, word after word after word. For they think uh, they will be heard because of their many words. In the the Greco-Roman worship at the time, uh, you would use repetitious words, and the length of your prayer meant you were more holy than others. The length and the repeating and the mantra over and over and over uh, meant somehow you would evoke your God, you would unlock the secret for your God to hear and to respond to you. And he says, when you pray, Don't be like the hypocrites who create this performance that is really a show for others, and somehow they think God's going to go, look look at my good boy. I'm going to now, he says, you got it all. He says, but when you pray, it's not a secret formula either. There is no, think about this with prayer, there is no hidden key to somehow unlocking God. There, there isn't a secret code word, and we kind of think of secret code words, and we kind of listen, especially if you're uh, either from a Christian background or you're non-religious, you still kind of buy into the secret code word. And you're like, well, I hear people saying, in Jesus' name, amen. Maybe, maybe that's the code word. Maybe i got to start saying that, in Jesus' name, amen. I don't even know what that means, but I say that over and over. By the way, let me just explain what it means, all right? 
In Jesus' name, when Jesus commanded us, he said, when you pray, pray in my name. What name represented was a person's character and what they're about, who they are. When you say, in the name of Jesus, I want to pray in alignment with who you are and what your heart is about. That's what it means to say, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen simply means, let it be so. Let it be so. What I have prayed, may it come to be according to your character and your will. It is not a magic incantation that we tag on at the end of a prayer that somehow now God is, oh, I unlocked the door. He's going to hear me in Jesus' name. Amen. Or some people, Lord God, you ever been around? Lord God, 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 Lord God. Father, 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 Father. Jesus, Jesus, Father, Jesus, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, Lord God, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen. I had this weird thing. This is really embarrassing, by the way, but I figured while I'm sharing embarrassing stories, might as well keep going. Because I'm not sharing this like, these are literal things that I bought into and I believe we buy into. Prayer is a performance, prayer is a secret formula. When I was in college, I was a worship leader and did, I was mainly doing music. Uh, and as a worship leader, there's something about, I don't know about you, but well, British people just sound smarter. <laughs> and when they pray, they sound more holy. And one of my favorite worship leaders is a British guy uh, by the name of Matt Redman. We sang one of his songs this morning. And subtly what began to shift into my worship leading, now I'm leading, uh, is I'm, I was born in Texas. I grew up in Santa Cruz, and now I was currently living in Chicago. But when I led worship, this is the way I sound. Lord God, <laughs> we praise you today, Lord God. Thank you, you know. It began came subconscious. I didn't recognize it until one day someone came up afterwards and said, oh man, I just want to thank you for the worship. It was great. Where are you from? <laughs> Santa Cruz? Because <laughs> somehow changing my tone might change and unlock this mystery of prayer. And we buy into this all the time, don't we? We think maybe it's a length of time. If I went longer, maybe it's the time of day. Maybe in the morning, I'm more holy in the morning. Or maybe at night, you know, or well, maybe if I stand, maybe if I sit. What what about Neil? I don't know, but if I do both all at the same time and you're doing jumping jacks and you're getting a great workout as you pray. Here's what God just says is, is not a performance. In fact, in fact, you know what's powerful and invites you into intimacy? Is both of those options, both of those lies for me was a way that I could manipulate or control God, somehow to bring God into my own confines and unlock a mystery as if God is a mystery to be unlocked or, or a puzzle to be solved. He is God. He cannot be managed. He cannot be manipulated. He is all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing. He is God. 
And powerful prayer, intimate prayer, takes place when we stop trying to control God and invite Him to change us. Could it be that prayer is actually much more about God working in us, changing us? As a kid, I'd wake up in the wee hours of the morning. It felt like the middle of the night. Um, it was probably like 4.30 or 5 a.m., and I had to pee. Um, and as I'd wake up to go to the bathroom, I'd notice that in the living room there was a, uh, there was a light on, and there was my mom. Every morning, without fail, I, I would see her. Sometimes I'd go talk to her, and other times I'd just listen in. And she would see there, I can still picture it to this day. Have a blanket on her lap, have her coffee right next to her, have her Bible right on her lap, and then tissues right here. And she would just pray. As a kid, nothing formed me spiritually more than that moment. I, I grew up in the church, and I loved it, and I'm thankful for it, and Sunday school was great, and it was awesome, and I learned a lot. You, you know, the, those great trips that you would take, and the moments with my parents where you'd have these great informative talks, you know, and principles that are, like, guiding, and it's so great, and I'm so thankful for all of that. But that one image, because there's something about the way my mom prayed. It wasn't a performance. She doesn't have a theological education. Doesn't have a seminary degree. And there wasn't some secret formula as if she's just trying. She just was with God. And I long, the reason we're wrestling with this and talking about it is, I long, I long that my kids, my kids would see that in me. That they would go, you know what, I don't know what to do, and I don't know if he has all the answers, but my dad prays, and when he prays, man, there's a connection with the God of the universe, and I don't fully get it, and I, but I want to, and I, Nothing was more formative than listening in to my mom's prayers. She talked with her friend, with her Savior, with her God. And as I sat and watched, and it's taken me years to kind of unpack, realize there's things that she did differently it wasn't a performance, it wasn't a secret formula. It, it was things that she did differently that I think developed, well, I know, developed this type of relationship. I, I think there's a lot of things we could talk about, but there's some things that she did that are alluded to in the text here that develops that type of intimate 
relationship where prayer becomes that for us, an ongoing love relationship with the God of the universe where you're known and you can know him. First thing that I noticed that she did differently is that she viewed prayer as necessary, not just a nice idea. Still to this day, my mom views prayer and understands prayer not like it's a nice idea, not like I'll get to it, but as as essential as air and breathing and water and food to nourishment. She says, prayer, my connection with God, is absolutely fundamentally necessary. And if I'm honest, for me, I'm just starting to get that. In fact, this year, I'd say, so some of you know how old I am. I'm 33 years old, and my 33 year, and I've been a, start, became a Christian when I was five, so I've been a Christian 28 years, right? Did the math, okay. Out of 28 years, in my 33rd, I'm just starting to understand what it looks like of prayer is necessary. Because it, it honestly was just a nice idea. It's like, yeah, I do that, or when I really need something, or, you know what, when, when we're around, then I'll kind of... It's going, I... See, prayer, your prayer life is the litmus test for how dependent you are on God. You want to know whether you're dependent upon the one who created you? Just look at how you pray and how I pray. It reveals it every time. I didn't used to drink coffee. I met my wife. She was a coffee drinker. I fell in love with her. I started drinking coffee. <laughs> Every morning without fail, I drink coffee. I've had probably two and a half cups this morning. I know, I got a problem, whatever. <laughs> coffee no longer is a nice idea. We did a year, last year, we tried to do like our Lent 40 days and we did 10 days, no caffeine. There's a reason we're not doing it again this year. <laughs> 10 days without coffee felt like, whoa. Coffee no longer is a nice idea. It is just a necessary component. What's interesting is that happens relationally, too. I remember the day I met my wife. I was good before that, so I thought. And I met her over some Hawaiian fried rice. I tell you what, I don't know anything about fried rice, but I knew I wanted to be with her. And from that day forward, there was just this necessary... It's like, I just wanted to be around her. I did whatever it took. I, I flaked on all my friends. I was a jerk, you know. She was like, oh, I'm doing this. Great, I, I'll come too. <laughs> People, those who have this direct connect with God, there's been a shift in their soul where they view prayer as necessary, not just nice. Did you notice what Jesus said three times, verse five, verse six, and then verse, I think it was eight, when you pray, but when you pray. It wasn't if, you notice, it wasn't if, or when you get around to it, is this reality, and Jesus prayed so much, that's why his disciples asked him, teach us to pray. 
those who have a direct connect, this ongoing love relationship, they view prayer not just as a nice idea, but as necessary. Uh, the second thing I just noticed about my mom when, when she prays and, and what she did differently and what she does differently was simply this, that she pursues the Father with a sincere heart. Not a perfect heart. See, I think that's where we mess it up. I think that's where we get all complicated. It's not coming in perfection. It's not waiting until you get your life right. It's not trying to make sure you have it all together. Sincerity is just coming honestly as you are with integrity. Integrity just simply means to present the whole you. That's all it means, to present all of you, being genuine, authentic, not trying to trump up and say all these sort of things. It's just, here I am. You know, there is this familiar prayer, uh, famous prayer, actually not familiar to me, but I just was reading it as I was studying. It begins this way, blessed, praised, and glorified, exalted, extolled, honored, magnified, lauded be the name of the Holy One. Like, okay, somehow we think we can attach superlatives onto things and it's, it gets us closer and God's going, no, I just want you. I just want you where you're at, how you are. An honest example of that, since we're being honest this morning. This morning I prayed for something. I ask that God would work and move powerfully in our time together. Now, in approaching the Father with a sincere heart, what I must do is is say, this is all of me. And in honesty, there are dual motives to this. First, I do, I absolutely, there's there's the motive of God, I long for you to speak and you to work. But if if I really come with all of me, the reality is the second motive is really ugly. It's one I've got to confess. God, I, I long for you to work and move powerfully because I want people to think better of me. And so I've got to come and go, God, this is me. That's what it means to pursue God with a sincere heart. God, I'm sorry. This is me. It's ugly. I don't want it to be there. I long to have pure motives, and I, and I don't. So will you create that in me? Not Perfection. Just the real you showing up. Use the language you use. So some of you are poetic. Use your poetic language. Some of you are just kind of nuts and bolts. Use nuts and bolts. Some of you are really engineer type, and you're going to think systematically, great. It's you. Stop putting a formula to it. God wants you. Those who do things differently, prayer is necessary pursue with a sincere heart. And finally, what I saw in my mom and see in her is she recognized that the ground where she stood is holy. You know, it's verse 6. It says, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Your room is literally just your bedroom, the normalcy of the day. The reality that you're just here. Not some sacred place or special. It's it's where you sleep. 
those who have a direct connect with God, they understand that the ground where they tread, right where they are at, is holy. It's holy not because we did anything to make it holy. It's holy because God is there, and wherever God is, it is holy. And so even though we're in a cafeteria on a high school campus, because God is here, it is holy. And when you walk out these doors and you drive in your car, God is there and it is holy. It is sacred. It is set apart. It is a place to meet with God. There's a uh, story in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, Moses. Uh, and Moses, he's out in a field, he's watching sheep, and, and as he's taking care of sheep in a desert place, he, he notices this bush burning in the distance, and it catches his eye, and so he, he's kind of looking at it, and what he notices is it's not being consumed, it's not being burned up, it has this perpetual uh, flame to it, and curious, he walks over to the burning bush, and the Lord says this, Moses, take off your sandals. Where you're standing is holy ground. It wasn't holy because Moses made it holy. It was holy because God was there. Here's what I find interesting about that. Moses was unaware that the ground in which he stood was holy. Could it be? Could it be that you and I, we walk and we tread through life on holy ground every single day, yet we are unaware that God is here, God is near, God is with you right where you're Prayer is simply engaging in an ongoing love relationship. It's not a performance secret formula. Those who have this deep intimacy with the Father view it as necessary, come sincerely, and they have this awareness that where they walk and where they're at is holy. As we close, I want to do a practice that will be kind of awkward. And, and here, here it is. I, I would actually just like to take that, that story and, and apply it so it kind of brings a fresh reality to us. So if you wouldn't mind, would you take off your shoes or your sandals with me? I know this could be a smelly illustration. just to fill the ground underneath your feet. There's nothing unique about the floor. There's nothing special outside that is a cafeteria floor. We're not in a church, which makes this even better. God is here. The tangibleness of your feet touching the ground, the sensation of the cold 
the connection where you're sitting and where you're resting is holy ground. Because God is here. I'm just going to um, pray a portion of St. Patrick's breastplate. Speak the words. They're very simple, this part of it. And then give a time where you can just be with God and and allow him to bring whatever to your soul is necessary, what he's been teaching you in these moments, and just say, God, here I am. Would you pray with me? Christ, be with me. Christ, within me. Christ, behind me, Christ before me. Christ beside me. Christ to win me. Christ to comfort and restore me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ in quiet. Christ in danger. Christ in our hearts of all those love. Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. He is here. He is with you. This moment is sacred and holy simply because of his presence. He invites you into it as often as you'll come. Would you take a moment and just pray and allow whatever bubbles up in you as the concerns, worries, maybe it's pain, maybe it's hopes and dreams, and simply bring all of you to your loving, heavenly.